You are listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today I've got a guest with me. And something interesting about this guest is, all right, let me, let me back up and tell a story. Um, I'm kind of a people person, but my dude, David and Chris Slate, so they're people persons, they're brothers, they are incredible guys, they come to Optima year after year. And so anyway, Chris Slate meets this guy named Corey Bennett, and he goes, yo, I got somebody else that's going to be on our crew, our Optima crew. We all hang out together at Optima. And I was like, yeah, we already have a Corey, though. We already have a Corey, so we may have to pass. And he was like, now nah, you got to meet this guy. And uh, introduced me to the gentleman right here on the screen and uh, about to be talking. Corey Bennett, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right, man. How are you? I'm doing well. It was really funny because you uh, you quickly assimilated into our Optima crew. And, you know, me, you, Ox, Corey Brown, the Slate brothers, Kieran and Shelby Jules, like it just became uh, a family. And, and and it was awesome. And and so here's something that's interesting. You reached out to me and you mm-hmm. said, I want to be on the podcast. And I was like, mm, I mean, if you've got some kind of research or project that you're working on or um, we can do it, but we may have to push back because I've got kind of the PhDs and the so-and-so lined up. Right. And I felt bad about that. But, you know, I get people also that reach out to me on a regular basis or all the time. But you're a friend. And so it was weirder to say no to you. And then we're like, oh my gosh, you're a presenter at Optima. Let's promote your session at Optima. So two things. One, congratulations for uh, presenting at Optima. I, I love it. It's my favorite conference I go to every year. Uh, and so I really, really do. Uh, I, I really am excited for you and what you're doing. So please tell us about yourself and then tell us about the conference and what session you're going to be teaching. Yeah, thanks again. I, I really appreciate you having me on. I mean, I, obviously, when I first reached out, I wasn't really expecting much, but uh, you know, things kind of fell in line once this whole presentation thing got going with uh, with Optima. So, awesome, man. Um, I, since you asked a little bit about me, um, I am the assistant director for fitness programs at the University of Florida Department of Recreational Sports. Big mouthful. University but, of Florida is yeah. legit. <laughs> Yeah, no, <laughs> I don't want to toot our own horn or anything like that, but we, we do have a highly ranked recreation program, especially in our fitness areas. We, we do a lot to be able to try and meet the demands of our student and faculty and staff populations. Um, so one of my jobs at the university is to facilitate and manage our personal training program. Um, I also have a couple of massage therapists on staff, but um, aside from managing up to 30 or more trainers on a yearly basis, um, I teach the NASM personal training prep course. So um, that's kind of like how I gotten so embedded within the culture of NASM is by living and breathing the OPT model um, and, and coming very well versed to the content that um, we, we go to train trainers on um year after year um it's so great to see new and new trainers every single optima that i've been to i'm going on my third one now um as opposed to other conferences that i've been to and it's it's probably been the most enjoyable experience that i've been able to have so far um it's been a blessing to be able to be accepted as a presenter um the title of my presentation is called liberate your posture um it's supposed to be a presentation 
um, to give fitness professionals, whether trainer, group X instructor, corrective exercise specialist, some additional tools that they can add to their exercise toolbox is what I like to call, um, so that they can help people who may have the normal um, nine to five, Monday through Friday lifestyle, but perhaps have a sedentary lifestyle in their job. Um, okay. People who are constantly sitting for long periods of time, um, maybe in their, their leisure life, they, they are in awkward postures, whether they're lounging around the house or they are not very active on a, on a weekly basis. Um, the goal is to be able to provide some tools that they can, these fitness professionals can use with their clients um, and participants to be able to counteract any improper posture patterns. Um, a couple that we'll, we'll talk about probably in the, in the next couple of minutes um, for longevity. The, I want to be the guy that's 85 years old and still able to walk out on his front yard and pick up the the, the paper, right? If the paper is even a thing that that many that, years that, that's not even going to exist. <laughs> you just download it into your brain, right? That's definitely where we're heading. I I firmly believe that, but you know, dreamers can dream, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. How did you get into doing corrective exercise? Like, how did that become a part of your your focus? Right. So um, while I was obtaining my education, so in undergrad and grad school, I, I went both degrees were in exercise science and exercise phys. Um, I was re really active because I wasn't in my full time work life yet. Um, mm -hmm. And after I graduated from grad school, entering into my full time career, I was still in the field of fitness. But the nature of my full time job was very sedentary. I was behind a desk yeah. managing programs yeah. and doing administrative work while also still having the drive for the fitness and health side of things. Um, and I, I started to, to notice some little things, not just only in myself, but in my coworkers that were, were accustomed to our lifestyles of sitting in front of screens for long periods of time and in being in meetings for days on end. And it, it really made me start to think outside the box of like, what can I do as a fitness professional to provide something to the general public, if not just the fitness community, mm -hmm. um, to help people um, be not only mindful of posture, um, but also if you are dealing with any issues that are related to common postural compensations, what are some things can you, that you can do to uh, counteract that and for better optimal health long term? I love it. And I think that it's good to, to focus on that stuff. I know that when I first started in corrective exercise, uh, it was because I was messed up, right? Like I, I was the one who, you know, there's a hitch in my giddy up every time I start to strut. So uh, there's an ankle problem and I'd had two knee surgeries already, but the knee wasn't really something that bothered me unless I was doing deeper squats. And then my ankle started bothering me and I had torn a, probably a labrum, my shoulder. I don't know. Everybody's just guessing because I was like, well, I'm not going to get surgery. So whether or not it's a torn labrum, it doesn't matter. Let me just do my correctives. But they were, they were simple correctives that I would get from a therapist and they'd be small kind of exercises and, you know, nothing wrong with them. But as I worked into getting the... CES, which at the time, um, there was something called the Integrated Flexibility Specialist that NASM did, and that got shifted into the corrective exercise model, and it became much more clear and laid out. And so I started doing it, and my ankle started feeling better, and my knees started feeling better, and my shoulders started feeling better. And then, you know, as I got older, there were things just like, 
Those are things I avoid, certain exercises and certain movements and certain lifts are just lifts that I avoid now. Um, so I ended up not going to stunt school and I thought I was gonna be a Power Ranger. I thought I was gonna be in stunt <laughs> school and I'd be doing flips and all this stuff. Uh, you know, Whether I was a Power Ranger or the guy getting beaten up by the Power Rangers or some action film, it, that, was, that was the goal, but it was just my body was beat up. I was 26 years old, man. 26 years old and I was getting, you know, was beat up from the martial arts and the flipping and the, the landing and incorrect landings and, you know, just got hurt. So for me, that was, that was my corrective exercise is that when you find something that changes your perspective and your life so profoundly, you can't wait to learn more and share that with other people. And that's, that's why corrective exercise became so important to me. And I know that that lets legitimately when I teach the CES workshop, I'm like, how many people, you know, give me a little raise of your hand. How many people have something busted, which is how you got into corrective exercise to fix you. And usually it's that or a loved one that has something and they wanted to be able to support somebody else. So that's 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 how I got into doing corrective exercise really and became became quite focused and now I I think it's legit one of the I mean I'm biased a bit but the best product that NASM has I love the corrective exercise uh, content and it's you know there's a new there's a new CES that's come out and I don't know if you guys are implementing that down uh, in Florida yet not yet not yet um you actually just reminded me um because I, I I didn't go far back enough in time to be able to explain how I actually oh, got into me. so me. Um, you mentioned previous injuries and stuff like that too yeah. so um one thing I neglected to say earlier was that when I was in grad school I was a competitive power lifter um okay. I was, I was, right. yeah I was competing for the United States powerlifting Association wow. um, for probably up to five years I think before I stopped competing altogether. Um, in 2016, I suffered a pretty nasty adductor injury um, while performing a squat. And mm -hmm. the recovery from that, although similar to you, I didn't really uh, seek out the proper medical attention, I would say, um, to, to formally. And you weren't doing it to be a Power Ranger either. No, 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 no. no okay. <laughs> it, was, it was more so just a personal pursuit. And I was, uh -huh. I was trying to, to beat myself, basically. And I beat myself in the wrong way, I would say. Yeah. You know, I, I was kind of running myself into the ground with my training and prepping for a competition. And it was during the competition that I did get injured. Um, oh. And I, I suffered a, I still to this day don't know exactly what happened, whether it was a strain of a tendon or a tear of a muscle, but um, it was very painful. I will say that. And there was bruising associated with it. It was an adductor muscle. Wow. Um, and the recovery bad. from that really consisted of a lot of rest followed by um, a lot of attention on the area that was injured. So by redeveloping my strength, one of the things that I ran into as I was prepping for my reconditioning phase after I got injured was I need to assess how I'm moving. So as a CPT, I was like, all right, let me get another CPT to get some eyes on me and do my overhead squat analysis. So I had this performed and what we found was a whole bunch of different um, muscle compensations, um, tightness, weakness in different areas that highlighted the muscles that I need to really be focusing on. Um, and at the time, I think this was probably when the CES was a little underdeveloped. So there may not have been the, the big nice chart that we have where you have probable underactive and overactive muscles here. Um, 
but we did find some resources that pointed me in the right direction for where the CES currently is right now and being able to, to show people, okay, hey, if you have this movement compensation, you should be focusing on these areas for strengthening and stretching and self-myofascial release and different types of integration into functional movements. So um, that's kind of where it all stemmed from because especially when I entered my full-time career and lifestyle change, I was working 40 hours a week. I had to prioritize when I was gonna be doing my workouts before or after work or my during my lunchtime. Um, that's where I really had to start getting creative with the way that I worked out for myself. And now I really see the big picture of how I work with these clients early in the morning or late in the evenings of the same type of stuff that they're dealing with in their full-time life. So that's that's more so the, the, the picture that I'm trying to paint here. And the good news about my presentation is that it's not just talking about movement compensations, but we're then going to integrate the NASM corrective exercise continuum into each movement compensation so we can show how we can approach each one with the four phases that are covered. All right, so I don't want you to necessarily do your presentation, sure. Sure. but do it. <laughs> like, let's get, a, let's get into sure. it a little bit. Like, I'll, so I'll give you, it sounds I'll give like you. you're doing um, like movement prep for office workers. So I wanna know a little bit more about this and what are the compensations that you're specifically looking at? And let's talk through some of the stuff. Right. So um, two of my th favorite topics to talk about when it comes to posture is upper and lower cross syndrome. So oh, yeah. um, most people may be familiar with upper and lower cross syndrome, but it's, it's really the balance of our muscles around not only just our shoulder joint, but our hip joint. So when we're talking about upper cross syndrome, we're really focusing on the upper extremities, the shoulder complex. And there's four quadrants that break up this shoulder complex in terms of which muscles can be overactive and underactive. Um, most commonly, when we see somebody who has some sort of poor compensation, we see like rounding in the shoulders, the head is protruding forward a little bit, and it's sometimes characterized as a hunchback. Um, usually what we see is tight upper tra trapezius muscles and then also overactive pectoral muscles. So the, the goal of this presentation is to provide the moves or the techniques that can counteract these different positions. Um, but we're not just focusing on the tight and overactive muscles too. We really need to focus too on which ones are neglected and underworked because those are the ones right that are gonna help recollect our positioning um, and put us back into the, pro the posture that we were born to be in, right? Um, so that's mostly for, for the upper cross when we're talking about overactive stuff. For the lower, um, we're looking about the, uh, the rotation of the pelvis. So sometimes people have an overarch or an overrounded lumbar area, lumbar region. Um, and what I see most common, at least with the clients that I've worked with, is there's an overcompensation for arching of the lower back. Um, and usually the people that I work with, they have office jobs, they work in corporate America, and they're sitting behind a desk for six to eight hours a day, if not longer. Um, and when we work out, we see uh, inhibition in their movement around the hip joint. So usually that's related to tight hip flexors, weak glute muscles, um, weak core muscles in the transverse abdominis and the, the rectus abdominis. So these are things that we have to kind of focus our attention on and create these movements um, uh, in a better routine for them to, to practice regularly so that we can start seeing improvements in their other 
functional areas. So one of the movements that I test and retest all the time is the squat. Um, for for lower oh, cross syndrome, I, I think one of the, the biggest things that'll highlight some movement compensations is the squat. So by, by seeing an anterior, a lateral, and a posterior view of that when you're assessing this, not just like you would for the overhead squat assessment, but just seeing how the person moves through it um, can really highlight whether or not they're dealing with some sort of underactivity or overactivity in a certain area. Oh, I like that. I like yeah. that. All right, so let's break this down because sure. uh, upper uh, upper cross and lower cross is there's a there's a researcher many moons ago named Yanda, and mm -hmm. Yanda's the one that came up with this. And you know, these days where it's debatable whether or not it's a syndrome, but it's right. still called that, and we put that out there, and uh, you know. It, it's just out of respect for what it was initially called. We we uh, we still stay with that. And because it's still debatable, um, we, we just hold on to it. We leave it there and, and right. it works well for what it is. But this upper cross syndrome that you're talking about, forward head, we see that all the time with, uh, with text to neck, right? Right. People on their phones. And, uh, you know, it's amazing that then we go to work. And when we take a break from work, usually looking at a computer screen, we go immediately to our phone to be in even worse position. And then we get home and most people are batting their view back and forth from their TV to their phone. Uh, I know my kids do it. My kids go grab a device and turn on the TV. And I'm like, man, man, man. Pick one dysfunction. This is a, both physically and cognitively. <laughs> um, and so here's something that I find very interesting. Let's just let's just chat it out, right? Sure. Um, and we don't have to get into everything that you're going to talk about, but I just want I love talking about this stuff. Sure. Is sure. one we get this this elevation right in the scapula, yeah. the protraction at the scapula, internal rotation at the the glenohumeral joint, forward head. So it's it's almost like a a flexion almost at the cervical spine, but an yep. extension also that happens in the upper cervical and, and the head on top of the atlas. So there are these moves, right? There's this look. And there are a couple muscles. And the reason I want to talk about this is probably yep. something that you and I can bat around, but maybe not something that you discussed. And one is the levator scapula and the pec. Yes. And they are both lovely muscles they're lovely muscles but boy they can get some attitude problems or they can be like um like hermione from from harry potter i'll do it i have it let me do it let me help let me help and you're like shut up and calm down but the problem when you get somebody raising their hand in class all the time is that the people around them just shut down right and right. you go just let just let this one answer it let this one answer it and so they do and levator scap, upper traps can be a part of that issue as well, where we start to get this elevation. And then the pec minor, I tell you, like the, the uh, levator scap and the pec minor is kind of like a like a judo flip. The one on the back lifts, and the the pec minor on the front flips it over. So it's like a like a hip toss in judo. I refer them to as the Bonnie and Clyde of upper cross syndrome. Oh, me gusta. <laughs> And it can be pretty nasty. And a lot of times, dude, people get shoulder issues. And we've heard it over and over is that a lot of times shoulder issues aren't shoulder issues or scapular issues. The scapula right. just isn't functioning the way it should. And the, the movement dysfunctions in the scapula, the 
pain pattern and the pain outcomes are in the shoulder joint specifically. And oftentimes uh, a little muscle that's part of the rotator cuff called the supraspinatus. And that one just, it just gets beat up on so much. Why is it? Why, why do things happen like this, man? Like talk us through what you know on, on, on why the scapula and why the shoulder and, and why is there so much dysfunction at this area? Right. So like you were saying, the, the scapula is, is such an interesting bone. Number one, it's got so many tiny muscles that are attached to it. Um, and then we have these, these dominating muscles like the levator scapula and the upper trapezius that tend to overcompensate because they are able to produce a lot of force in some regard. Um, you, you reference muscles like the supraspinatus. Um, these are tinier like rotator cuff muscles that tend to be underworked because we're not doing enough to work on them more regularly. Um, and one of the most common things I see with, with these issues are people who are fit, honestly, but they're training incorrectly. Um, Mm-hmm. I like to refer. Yeah. I, I like to refer to this as the population of people who only work on the mirror muscles, the ones that are visible to them across from them in the mirror, right? Um, oh, yeah. So, it, people who are doing a lot of upper dominant, like superior dominance to the shoulders, so their deltoids and their traps and their pectorals, like these are all things that they can visually assess and see progress. But there's so much good in the posterior side of our body that we are neglecting when we focus on these anterior muscles. Um, and over time, that starts to develop this compound interest of um, tension on the anterior side of the body, where we need to now do a lot of homework to, to recreate the, the positioning of the shoulder. Um, so more often than not, I see people doing a lot of shrugging exercises, and this will get the levator scap and the upper trapezius really involved. Um, and especially when that levator scap gets overactive, we start to see a lot of elevation in the, the scapula. So we start to see a little bit more shrugging, um, but also it's causing a little bit of upward rotation of the scapula too, which could really cause some impingement in the glenohumeral joint. Where We're looking at trying to see what type of overhead patterns we can um, train with our clients. And sometimes that'll affect the stability of overhead movements and lead to Um, things like rhomboid strains, because those muscles are being, um, underactive in, in terms of the shrugging movements. But one of the areas that we could turn our focus to, um, in terms of giving it a little bit more love is our middle and lower trapezius and the rhomboids as well. Mm. So taking away these suitcase carry exercises or dumbbell shrugs or barbell shrugs, and really focusing on bent over raising movements like rear deltoid flies, I's, T's, and Y's. These are things that I somewhat cover in my presentation, but not so much the the same techniques. But um, exercises that can target those middle and lower trapezius muscles, especially, are going to be the ones that can help draw back and down the shoulders um, in the position that we're looking for. Um, You also mentioned the power. I'm sorry, you're going to jump in there? No, dude, I'm just agreeing. Go on. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you also mentioned the pec minor. Um, the pec minor is a muscle that helps with internal rotation of the glenohumeral joint, uh, more specifically the humerus. And I like to consider the pec minor as like a throwing muscle because if you can picture just this movement happening here with your arm, the pec minor is going to be one of the primary movers here, allowing for this internal rotation of the shoulder here. Um, 
if that muscle gets really, really overactive, we start to see the internal shrugging. And that's where this hunchback positioning comes from um, and the rounded shoulders that we commonly see. When we relate this to the office worker, if we can picture somebody who is over a keyboard for long periods of time, I'm trying to like simulate this right now in the front of the camera, but um, when you have your hands forward on a desk and you're resting your forearms, your shoulders are naturally in an internally rotated state. So that pec minor muscle isn't really being active, but it's passively shortened. So for long periods of time, if your hands are on the keyboard typing away and you're going hour after hour doing this, that muscle is going to get used to being in that shortened position for a very long period of time. And that's where we start to see some issues occur. It's not so much um, active overactivity, it's passive overactivity and shortening. Um, so in most cases, this is where we need to kind of get creative with how we uh, go about focusing on alleviating the tension that's being caused by that shortened muscle. So we need to do things like self myofascial release and then combine that with a little bit of static stretching um, to make that happen. So. Okay. All right. I like that. Uh, positional shortening is something that I talk about a lot because that happens oh, obviously yeah. when we're sitting uh, and, and that can become something that's just developed and stays that way over time. Let me just do a, a quick little um, correction on something that you'd mentioned. The, the pec minor uh, doesn't internally rotate the glenohumeral joint, so or at least the humerus in that joint, but you are right about the that protraction internal rotation. Um, as, and, and that's really where that issue starts to happen. And as you right. protract and internally rotate, it's often because we're internally rotated at the glenohumeral right. joint that that happens. Now, with that being said, um, we look at the pec minor as, you know, sometimes just a, a, a naughty muscle. And we say that uh, because it, it gets in the way so much and it's a, it's a downward rotator of the scapula. And you even mentioned it's difficult to go into upward rotation sometimes right. because we're kind of stuck in this downward rotation and we just, we can't, we don't upward rotate. We just shrug, right? There's no reason right. to upward rotate the scapula. So we cheat, and we shrug. And then you mentioned the shrugs and people doing the shrugs. And if you watch people shrug, most of the time they shrug and then you see their head jut forward. Oh yes. Right. And so they're exacerbating these compensations over and over and over again. And what I think is kind of funny is that when people do the shrugs to try to develop or strengthen the, the upper traps and they elevate, but then they nutate their head and they go into the cervical extension and, and you're shortening the shrug by elevating, but you're also removing some of that lift because you're not maintaining this neutral position. So you're bringing this distal attachment point closer to its proximal attachment point. Right. The compensations just roll, roll, roll. And then you get these global muscles, people are working. And then that leads to this impingement that you were talking about at the glenohumeral joint. Right. And a lot of times what happens is, is that the head of the humerus starts to go and minimizes that subacromial space so it has the superior glide and when you see exercises like people doing the external rotation exercises right there's a reason that those are done right there there's a reason they are done and one of the reasons is because it creates what's called caudal glide so it, it right. takes that impinged area and drops the humeral head down a little bit just because the angle um but if the issue is coming from the scapula then 
it, you have to provide this all-encompassing approach to develop that that corrective strategy. And so here's what people do. And you know this, Corey, because you're talking on it and you do the corrective <laughs> exercise model, but people tend to pick and choose certain things. Like, let me give you exercises. Right. Well, that's good. But did you do any of your release stuff? Right. right. Well, sometimes people, and even the therapist, right? They'll they'll get so focused on doing, let me do some hands-on release or <clears throat> trainers will say, let's focus on some self-myofascial work and then let's go exercise. And so you're leaving out so many things because the corrective exercise continuum is a continuum. It's, it's not a choose your adventure story. So you start with that self-myofascial rolling, you move into the lengthening, you move into the activations, and then it's, a, it's like an orchestra, right? Like you're right. picking the, this, this one, this, the, the tone's not right, and the trumpets, and then the clarinet over here is a little, little off, and you just, you're trying to tighten some things up somewhere, trying to get some other to relax and loosen up. But at the end of it, the orchestra has to practice playing together again. Yeah. So uh, that's what that integration is. I'm so happy that you mentioned that because that's one of the most important parts that I include in the presentation that I'm doing is Perfect. by referencing this corrective exercise continuum, often people are doing parts of it, but they don't do the whole yeah. orchestra as you're referring to it as. So um, I, I don't go into a very large um, demonstration of what exactly the corrective exercise continuum is. I really just focus on the individual pieces of it and how we can mm -hmm. attack each compensation. So I think we can talk about that a little bit um, to give the viewers a little bit more understanding of what exactly this is this corrective exercise continuum. Um, yeah, let's dig through it, man. So you start sure. off, take the take the ruin, so, reins. So, so there's four phases. There is the inhibit phase, which is supposed to be the starting phase, um, followed by lengthen, and then activate, and then integrate. If we start with inhibit, we're talking about movements that are providing some form of self-myofascial release. So we're trying to inhibit tension on muscles that are most likely going to be overactive and shortened. Um, after we go through the inhibit phase, we then want to probably attack those same muscles with some form of static stretching. Um, we could do static stretching, we could do neuromuscular stretching and throw some extra stuff in there if there's any additional pieces that we can add. Just keep them coming. No, no, okay. I, I, we, I like to limit it to static stretching and I love neuromuscular stretching. I think it's okay. really beneficial, but usually if you have a partner, it's really difficult sometimes to do that on your own. Yeah, the neuromuscular stretching I think is is by far one of the better ways to go about this the the lengthening and that yeah. partner is going to be really important when you're doing any type of PNF movements where you're you're able to apply force and then lengthen into a further position. It's just really yeah. really beneficial. Um, so once we do those first two phases, then we move into the activate phase. So this is where we want to focus on then the muscles that need some extra love. So the ones that are underactive and probably weaker in regard to the position that you are focusing on. So um, if we're talking about that upper cross syndrome and you have those rounded forward shoulders, we might be wanting to focus on the rhomboids, the middle and lower trapezius muscles, um, and be able to try and retract the shoulders a little bit better and get some good motor control of the scapula. Um, 
once you go through those first three phases, you may need to revisit um, one of those phases um, if you're not seeing any improvements. That's why it is a great yeah. Because you do have the ability to kind of transition back and forth until you start seeing improvements. And granted, this is not a magic pill that you're gonna be able to do one workout and then have the best movement of your life the next minute. Um, it's gonna take some time to gradually move into that. Um, and once you are in a better position, that's when you can start to integrate into functional movements. So um, one of the movements that I reference for specifically upper cross syndrome is any type of overhead pressing movement. Um, I demonstrate it using kettlebells in my presentation. So doing a, a double kettlebell overhead press and being able to see whether or not my arms are able to make it completely vertically overhead or if my arms are falling forward or if my head is protruding um, and thinking of those different compensations that could happen um, if I'm dealing with some sort of muscle imbalance. Oh man, we got, we got some good stuff coming out here, dude. Uh, I love what's going on. I want to, let's, let's talk a little bit about the lower, lower cross. Sure. And what are some of the things that, that you see in the lower cross that, um, that need to be corrected? And then what are some of the strategies outside of corrective exercise where, you know, this is just in daily life whilst sitting, right. please pay attention to these things. Yes. Yes. I love it. Um, we'll talk about the lower cross first. Then I like to call this posture. Mindfulness is the second Good. piece oh, nice. that we can talk about like daily considerations. Um, in the lower cross, um, the more common thing that I see is tight hips. Um, tight hips is always going to be the biggest thing that I get from clients who are in these sedentary occupations because they're sitting and they have that passive shortening. Like we're talking about um, specifically in the psoas muscle. Um, and if you do attend my presentation, I do throw some funny puns, like movement puns in there. So hopefully you'll you'll get a good kick nice. out of that. Um, so shortness in the hip flexors, mostly the psoas. We may see some sort of shortness in the TFL muscle too. Um, those two tend to be kind of problematic in the hip region, but not solely the focus of just sitting alone. Um, sometimes your rectus femoris, um, the quad muscle that goes right down the middle of your, your thigh, tends to be the uh, muscle that complements hip flexion at the same time. So if you have tight quads and tight hip flexors, you may start to experience some sort of uh, rotation of the pelvis that causes this um, arch positioning of the lumbar spine. Um, so that's for the tightness on the anterior side. On the back side, sometimes we might see tightness of the erector spinae, mostly in the lumbar region. Um, but usually what I like to focus on in the posterior side is uh, weakness in the gluteal muscles. All right. So if you think about a sitting position, we're sitting down on our butts all day long in a long desk job. Right. So we're compressing those muscles and that's the compression isn't really allowing a lot of blood flow to kind of circulate through those muscles in an optimal fashion. So this could potentially cause some sort of ischemic effect on the blood flow in that area that compromises the, the performance of the muscle. So I like to do some activating of the gluteal muscles to really get them engaged and turned on um, as part of that activate phase of the uh, corrective exercise continuum. So I like to do things like elevated hip thrust or single leg hip thrust to really focus on side to side dominance. Um, these are some things that we can really consider for, for that. When it comes to the tight hip flexors on the anterior side, um, I do a pretty creative half kneeling hip flexor stretch and you'd have to see it in the presentation to understand what I'm talking about. 
um, plug there. Um, yeah. But there's. Does it remember couple... those books back in the day where it was like the Time Life books and they were like, what does it say? And they go, read the book, buy the book. <laughs> this is totally what's going on. You're like, it's a really good presentation that you'll have to go to the presentation to watch. So well, for, for, for anyone, sure. For anyone who's watching or listening right now, I'll give them something. If you go Google or YouTube, any type of half kneeling hip flexor stretch, you'll probably find a series of good uh, moves that you can do. I put an extra little bit of flair into that movement to, to really lengthen out the hip flexor and complement the quad at the same time um, okay. so that we can really get maximum length of that anterior part that's usually shortened. So um, the whole design of this presentation isn't to give you stuff that you're already aware of, but it's to kind of put a little bit of creativity and give you extra Perfect. stuff that you can consider. So I, I'm not trying to recreate the wheel here. I'm trying to give something unique. Yeah. There's something you mentioned about the glutes and the inhibition yep. in the glutes. And I always kind of tell people, I'm like, think about what we do with foam rollers. Right. Right? We put weight on the foam roller. We may roll our calves, put weight, add pressure, ischemic pressure to get it to relax. Right. Now imagine doing that for 12 hours a day, right? That is the exact point I'm trying to make right there. Yeah, yeah. So right. you are, you're probably inhibiting the glutes just simply for the fact of putting that pressure on it and creating that, um, that compressive inhibition there. And then you've got this kind of positional shortening that's taking place on the other side. I'm really interested in your course now because I want to see how you unwind it. What are some of the little the pieces of flair that you use to, yeah. to, to create something that, that you're not recreating, but you're just saying, man, this is, and this is what people should do, Corey. And this is what I love about this conversation is that like NASM in the textbook, it's, it doesn't give you all the answers. It doesn't. But it's that's not also, designed to. It's but that's also part of the reason why I yeah. love it. Is yeah. that it gives us all the tools that we need, and then it provides us the creative uh, ability to go yeah. out and make something Explore. new happen. Yeah, and here's the thing with any teacher, right? And a good teacher will always say that I learn from my students, and that's because they are humble enough to do so. And they also know, especially with adult students, they've lived life. And they come with an interesting set of problems that they're trying to solve and they have experiences that they can bring to the conversation. So we don't want people to be robots. In fact, it's called the, the OPT model right. because it is a model. It's something to follow, but, but you do bring your experience and what, what you can implement and put into the model. So don't just say, Oh, that's not in the book, so I can't do it. And they didn't say this, so I can't do it. No, it's it's a merger of your experience with our experience. It's a merger of what you've done in the past with what the research is that we've collected and put together in what we believe to be an excellent set of steps to take. And so it's like that with OPT model. And then we see that with the corrective exercise continuum where we look at things like foam rolling and then they start coming out with all these other tools like what's a foam roller i've been using right. this roller and this vibration tool and this thing and oh okay all right it's it, it's not magic in the foam it's it's following the process and then you putting your piece into it so that's what i love about what you're doing and you're teaching us like this is 
my experience, my life, what I bring to the table and merge with the NASM product. And that's what I think is valuable. Right. Yeah, I really, really enjoy the practical nature of this field. You know, I mean, being able to take stuff that you learn from text or from other people and being able to apply it right away, I think is is one of the most exciting parts of being able to see people make change. And, uh, and, and that's, again, part of the reason why I wanted to create this subject is to give those tools out or free. Well, if unless you're paying for the registration, obviously, yeah, right, right. <laughs> or for the people to be able to use them um, with others and, and be able to yeah. see the benefits that I've seen as well. So I, again, that's that's part of the purpose. I um, love it, my man. I love it. I, I'm excited to, to hear what you got up your sleeves. Yeah. So I did have one other thing that we could talk about. I know we have a little bit of time left, right? Yeah, yeah. But we want to save some time for questions too. So we, we sure. probably won't go headlong everything. So, let, so let's close on just general like posture mindfulness. Um, things yeah. to consider on a daily basis that um, people can be aware of and just mindful of for themselves so that you can ensure that you are upholding a good posture um, on a day-to-day -day basis. So the first thing is always checking yourself before you wreck yourself. Um of your shoulder and head positioning. So if you're somebody who really is in front of a screen for long periods of time, especially now more than ever with us being in yeah. virtual worlds and doing our education online for the most part, um, we are going to be in front of screens and we it, it's unfortunately we aren't gonna be able to get away from that for the most part. So always check your shoulder positioning. If you know that your shoulders are starting to round forward, pull them backwards, retract those scapula together, pull them together and see if you can get your chest to be more forward and proud. Um, to complement that too, identify your head positioning. Are you tilting your head forward more or can you tuck your chin back and stack it over your shoulders? That's going to put you in optimal cervical position so that you can be in the best posture for at least sitting. Um, the next thing is if you are a laptop user, um, one of the biggest things that I love about the laptop is that it's mobile, but at the same time, if it's actually sitting in your lap, Think about what that does to your upper body positioning. Yeah. You're flexing cervically and you're looking down at your lap. And if you're doing that for a long period of time, you might experience some shortening of those muscles. And if that becomes chronic over time, then you're here to see this presentation and make some corrections happen. Nice. Um, the other thing too, is if you do have a sedentary lifestyle, whether it's for work or just in your leisure time, one thing I always recommend is to set a short timer, something like 45 minutes to an hour to go off for the amount of time that you are sitting for. And once that timer goes off, get up and move around, whether it's moving every limb of your body, uh, doing some just general flexion and extension of your joints, whether it's some functional movements as exercise or just taking and standing and going for a walk. This is something that you can do regularly throughout the day to ensure that your body is going to get a good amount of activity in without being seated or laying down or whatever for a little too much of an extended period of time. Oh, I love that. And that's something that I talked about. Uh, Fabio Camana came on. He's been on a couple of times. And this, this word I do too, he's one of my absolute favorites. Uh, so speaking of Optima presenters, Make sure you you see him if you've not. He's just he's one of my absolute favorites. But he talks about neat. Neat is non-exercise activity thermogenics, and it's really about how many calories you burn just because you get up and move around, or because you're standing. And it's significant 
the caloric decrease that takes place when you just stay still, when you're just sitting. And so hundreds and hundreds of calories can be expended not even by exercising, but simply by activity. And so when people say, you know, take the stairs instead of the elevator or get off a floor early and take the stairs or get off the stop early in the subway and, and walk to where you're going. And I have a friend of mine that lived in Atlanta and, and she was a big girl. She came to New York and she had lost over a hundred pounds. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, talk to me about what you did. And she goes, I just did all that stuff that they told you to do. And I was like, like what, working out? And then she was like, no, no, I, I took the stairs and I would walk more. And it was all neat. It was all non-exercise activity, thermogenics. She really didn't exercise that much. She changed her diet and she started moving more regularly, a lot less sitting, a lot less sedentary and became moving. And I was like, this story needs to be out there because here's what people, people don't do things, Corey, because they seem simple. And if it seems simple, then it probably won't work. But you can do anything simply and consistently. And that consistency is going to get you to where you need to be. And that could be something as simple as what you're talking about, being aware of your posture, you know, tucking the chin, shoulders back, being aware of it. And then all of a sudden through repetition, that's just what you do. Yeah, general lifestyle modification is probably the easiest place to start for anybody. As fitness professionals, we make it look kind of easy because it's our job. But for the general public, you know, doing those little things like taking the stairs, walking more for transportation or riding a bike for transportation, especially if yeah. you're in a big city where, where exercise and fitness facilities are very limited um, to some extent, that's a really big challenge, you know, and like that person you mentioned, that's that's huge. Look at that. Look at that success story right there. It's incredible. Um, but but to sum up those those three mindful things. Um, Identify your shoulder and head position. Make sure you're being mindful when you're using a laptop and try to move as frequently as you can when you are in a sedentary uh, routine. Oh, I love that. All right, dude, uh, thank you. Let's get into some questions if any have popped up. So Greg, Greg is our producer and go ahead, Greg, let okay, us know what's going on. going on. All right, we had a pretty active chat today. So, uh, excited to get to some of these questions. And one of the big ones was around uh, neuromuscular stretching. And Helen in particular wanted to know if you could explain a little bit more about what that means. All right, Corey, you wanna hit that one? Got you. So um, neuromuscular stretching, the way that I like to describe it is the, in the term of PNF stretching or proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, very large mouthful of a word. Um, in terms of using this as a technique, um, one of the things you're trying to do to the muscle is cause what's called reciprocal inhibition. So um, that's one of the ways that you can go about um, PNF stretching. But what this does is you bring a muscle into a static stretching position, and then it's sequenced by a couple different things. So if you're working out with a partner, let's say you're doing a lying hamstring stretch where you bring your leg up into the air and that person is holding it for you. Um, that person's gonna bring you to your end range of motion, stretch out the muscle. And then what you could do 
is press into that person's hand while they're holding, holding your leg. And that's going to cause that muscle to activate. From there, you relax and they bring you into a further range of motion. And that's causing this neuromuscular um, response. That one is called autogenic inhibition because you're actually activating the muscle that you are stretching. Um, the next step to that is to uh, flex the quad and bring your leg forward yourself while that person is stretching you. And that should bring your leg further into the stretch, lengthening the hamstring out even more. Um, so that's the concept of reciprocal inhibition where you are flexing the opposing muscle and it's allowing the hamstring or the muscle that you're trying to stretch lengthen even further. Rick, do you want to add yeah. to that? Yeah. So NASM will do neuromuscular stretching will include usually a 30 second static hold. So they like to add a static to the neuromuscular stretching. And then it's about a five to 10 second push into that muscle. And then once once you push, right? So I'm I'm going into let we'll use yours. So you're in a 90-90 position, hip flexed at 90, knee flexed at 90. Somebody's gonna gonna give you a hamstring stretch. And they get to that piece of that that area of tension. So that first resistance barrier, you hold that for 30 seconds, and then you push against the person who's pushing your leg up. So uh, if you've ever worked with larger athletes, it is terrible for the person that's the partner because some of these big football athletes, it's really hard to do the neuromuscular stretching with. As they push into you, they're activating the muscle they're trying to stretch. But when they relax it after five, 10 seconds, that muscle is relaxed. It's like, okay, now I'm protected. And then you immediately go into the new range of motion. Uh, I call one of those that you first mentioned is uh, crack. So it is, you're doing that um, contract, relax with antagonist contraction. So now you add the autogenic inhibition. And I have a whole series in a workshop and I've done multiples at Optima and other around the country. I've got a, uh, an online course that I do on neuromuscular stretching. And so you have to be careful which muscles you do the antagonistic contract, con contraction because you can absolutely Charlie horse up and then oh, all yeah. of a sudden the stretching is the last thing that you're going to be doing. You, you might be right back to foam rolling if that's the case. I Charlie horsed up just uh, hearing you talk about it. So, uh, <laughs> Lenny, Lenny in the chat wants to know, obviously with restrictions due to COVID, uh, it becomes a little bit more difficult to do corrective exercise. How do you suggest when working with clients with limited contact, uh, how, to, how to go about doing some of these strategies? Um, for me in particular, with the movements that I demonstrate in my online presentation, there's a lot of hands-off contact. Um, the, the most hands-on you're going to get is from the neuromuscular stretching. Um, the rest is basically going to be self-applied by the client with your guidance. Um, so whether it's uh, self-myofascial release or the static stretching portion of the corrective exercise continuum, followed by um, any type of the activating movements that we want to do to pull those muscles together. Um, those are going to be mostly verbally uh, instructed to the clients um, with very limited equipment for the most part too. Um, the, my goal for, for the movements that per, were provided in my presentation were to um, limit the amount of resources you actually need. So a lot of this stuff can be done at home. Um, obviously, we're getting too far in depth with that particular answer, but um, the, the goal of corrective exercise is to be able to pr provide some form of um, easy resources to the client.
and stuff that you could you could probably do on a Zoom call. Right. All right. Nice. All right, Greg, what you got? Yeah, we can wrap it up with the chat on this one. Uh, Peter wants to know uh, if you could explain the difference in effects between percussion therapy versus foam rolling. Percussion okay. therapy. Rick, I don't know too much yeah. about percussion therapy. Do you? Yeah, it seems to be a similar response in the body. Um, percussion therapy would be like a, a hypervolt. Uh, oh, oh you know, okay. Those little, the, the little punching machines. Theragun <laughs> so, type thing, hypervolt. Theragun, yeah. hypervolt. Those are the, those types of things that we, we do see a lot of research starting to come out on it. Hmm. But what we also know is that we don't know a lot necessarily about what works or why foam rolling works. And you'll see in the corrective exercise course, when you go through the self-myofascial rolling, um, that there are things like uh, local effects that take place. There are fixotropic effects in the muscle that takes place. Um, but then you get this, this larger, more systemic thing that takes place, so a neuro, neuromuscular response. And we talked about neuromuscular stretching. So I think the research is showing that you get similar responses but what we still don't know is what exactly is going on. But given the option to do the, the two different things, adding a foam roller or doing some type of percussion therapy seems to be similar as far as I know and what I've read um, uh, to each other. So I think they're both great options. It's just that a foam roller is 30 bucks and a hypervolt is 350. So <laughs> it just depends. So a little housekeeping before I let you guys wrap up. Uh, if you have enjoyed the conversation with both these gentlemen, I highly recommend uh, checking out NESM Optima coming up on October 13th through the 16th. It is a, our all-virtual conference uh, this year, all-virtual. I uh, would love to have you guys there. Uh, you can earn up to 2.0 CEUs, so enough recertification just by attending uh, the sessions online that we're going to have great uh, breakout sessions where you can interact with other professionals as well as some of the speakers. Uh, we're going to have an expo hall that's completely virtual so you can see some of the latest and greatest in fitness and wellness. And both Corey and Rick have fantastic sessions coming up. So uh, click the link in the description of the video here and you can take advantage of some of our uh, early bird pricing before it goes away and uh, i will let you guys continue your conversation thanks for letting me be a fly on the wall guys uh, dude always a pleasure to hear from you greg and one more question for you Corey bennett sure. uh what's on the board behind you every time every time greg put you on blast and i could see the full <laughs> screen i was i'm like trying to zoom in i'm like pt i see that virtual pizza what's happening what is that <laughs> So this was my brain when COVID started. I had That's to how my brain works too. <laughs> I had to Everywhere. restructure all of my programming for my department for personal training. So we had to consider are we going virtual? Are we doing limited contact in person? Are we we have a fitness assessment center that's a whole separate entity? Are we gonna reopen that space? Because a lot of the stuff that we do in there has contact, you know. Um, is massage mm. therapy gonna be running? Because that's all contact. What are what are we yeah. doing? Um, so that's kind of like how I get my brain going a little bit and I just cross things off as I accomplish what I need to accomplish.
<laughs> that's that's a, yeah, that's like my mind map, right? Like it just here's an idea and here are a bunch of things. As long as I can think of this idea, then I can I, then all of those other things will fall into place, or at least I hope. That's that's what I hope when I go into presentations. Give me give me one thing to think about, and then everything yeah. else will fall into place. Corey Bennett, how do people find you, my brother? Well, um, you can find me online at the or on Instagram at the Benefit Project. Um, that is my handle for for Instagram. Um, I do have a website, but if you attend my session, there's a QR code because I haven't gotten my domain domain name yet. Um, otherwise, you can contact me. Um, again, I work for the University of Florida Department of Recreational Sports. So if you contact or if you Google search me, Corey Bennett UF, you'll probably find me somewhere. Um, my email address is thebenefitproject at gmail.com. That's my private email, not my school email. So for any other like NASM inquiries or anything like that, you can reach out to me through that. Um, but if you're a school professional, um, cbennett at ufsa.ufl.edu be the best way to contact me. Fantastic. Thanks for being on the show, brother. I appreciate it. It's always hey, good thank you so much you. for having me. I'm bummed that I can't hang out with you. I, like, I love that Optima's going virtual, but man, I wish we were hanging out. Uh, but it's good to have you on. Thank you, everybody, for listening, for tuning in. You can reach out to me. I'm most active on Instagram, dr.rickritchie, R-I-C-H-E-Y, or you can hit me up at rick.ritchie at nasm.org. Let me know if there are people that you want me to interview, if there are subjects that you want me to address. Talk to me. Give me a few days. Don't get mad at me if I don't respond immediately. It's just how it goes. I appreciate it. This is the NASM CPT Podcast.